ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. If you're listening to Gospel Dynamite, thank you for joining us. I ask you to turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. As we consider the subject, when we get to heaven, then what? We begin reading in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon, like jasper, and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Verse 1 of this passage shows John hearing the sound of a trumpet and of a great voice calling him up to heaven. Immediately the transition is made from the earth to the heavens, and then John is given a view of what heaven will be like. Now the first verse, which we covered last week more in detail, is a clear picture of the rapture of the church. John pictures for us what it will be like to be snatched out of this world and taken directly to heaven. That will be a thrilling experience. However, the question that is often asked by people regarding heaven is this, what will we do when we get there? 
Well, that's certainly a good question. And it's a question people have asked for centuries, and it is a question that this passage answers for us. For in the 11 verses that make up this chapter, we have the opportunity, we're given the opportunity to look into heaven so that we can see some things that are going on there. The things going on there are very thrilling, but what makes them so special is the fact that they involve us. Let's take this time, peek around the curtain to see what's going on in this place called heaven. I believe this text gives us some of the answers to this question. What's going on there? Just remember, if you're saved, you're born again today, you're looking into your future. If you're not, then give your life to Christ so that you can do that. In verses 2 through 6, I would have you see that we can examine the scenery of heaven. Verses 2 and 3, we see the sovereign. Now, of course, the most magnificent feature of heaven, the centerpiece of that city will be God himself. The one no man can see and live, Exodus 33 and verse 20, will be visible for all the citizens of that place to see. Revelation 22 and verse 4 says it as clearly as it can be said, we will see God in that place. Notice his stability. We see a throne set, and this speaks of his government. Our God rules an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is established, and it is stable. According to Psalm 47 and verse 8, Psalm 45 and verse 6, no one can overthrow God. No one will ever, ever has, ever will overthrow the God of heaven. I point out to you his symbolism. John seeks to do the impossible. He seeks and he tries to describe God. He says that he's like a diamond, brilliant and clear, yet hard and flexible and firm. And this speaks of the moral law of God. There are certain fixed laws in the universe, such as the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics. These laws are fixed. They're unbreakable. And no one can touch them, alter them, change them, alleviate them one iota except by God himself. God's moral law is just as fixed and stable. According to Revelation 2, 9, Psalm 119, verse 89, the Bible says that in Psalm 119, 89, thy word is settled in heaven. Then he mentions the sardine stone. That stone is blood red, it's fleshy, and it's fiery. This stone speaks of the holiness of God and his anger against sin. And it serves to remind us that God is holy and that he hates sin. And just as the fires on the sacrificial altars of Israel were never to be extinguished, as long as sin inhabits the universe, the fire of God's hatred will burn against it, according to Hebrews 12, verse 29. I'd offer just a side note. These stones also speak of the holiness of God. They were pure white. 
as well as his redemption. Sardine stone is red. For while God is a holy God who hates sin, he is also the same one who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. But wait, the sardine stone and the jasper stones were also the first and the last stones in the breastplate of the Old Testament high priest in Exodus 28 verses 15 through 30. The sardine stone represented the tribe of Reuben. His name means behold a son. The jasper stone represents the tribe of Benjamin whose name means son of the right hand. In these two names, we see a portrait of our Savior, the Lord Jesus in his humanity. He is the divine son, according to Isaiah 9 and verse 6. He is seated at the Father's right hand, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. And these stones picture the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners. They remind us that even though judgment is sure for those who are in their sins, there is grace and salvation for those who embrace the gospel. God did not leave out one iota. He completely thought of everything. Then notice his serenity. Bible describes an emerald rainbow encircling the throne. The color speaks of serenity and calm. Rainbow is a symbol of mercy, no matter what the LGBT and Q and SR and everybody else who wants to join in on that, that name tag, who thinks that it means love is love and freedom. No, no, no. It's a symbol of mercy and they've distorted it. They've never come up with anything original. They've only taken what God has done and tainted it with their sin. The rainbow, according to Genesis 9, is a symbol of mercy. And in Noah's day, he could only see half the rainbow. He didn't understand all that had happened and why God did all that he did in the flood. Such is life for you and me. We go through the trials and the struggles of life with only half the story. We see God's grace and experience his mercy in this life, but we don't have the, the full, the complete picture. But one day we will be in his presence and it will all make sense. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says that we see through a glass darkly, dimly. When the storm has passed, the rainbow appears. One day in heaven, the storms will be passed forever and we'll be at peace in this city where all the mysteries of life will be made clear. Also in verse 4, you can see the saints. Heaven just isn't a place for the Redeemer. It's also a place for the redeemed. These 24 elders are a picture of the redeemed of the ages, 12 representing the Old Testament saints and 12 representing the church age saints of God. Their position is very notable. They're seated. They, too, occupy thrones 
which indicates that they are rulers too, Revelation 1 verse 6. The fact that they're seated lets us know that they are at rest. The battles are over. And they find themselves seated before the throne of God at perfect peace and rest. Thank God, thank God. There's a day of rest that awaits us in heaven. According to Ephesians 2 and verse 6, positionally we're already there. But in reality, we're going to be there when we get there in heaven. But notice also their purity. These elders are in robes of white raiment. This is always a symbol of holiness and purity. Revelation 19 verse 8 points that out. Thank God the day is coming when the saints of the Lord will be in his presence free from the stain and the blight and the temptation of sin. But I would also point out to you that the, each one of these elders are wearing a crown of gold. Now this crown is not the crown that Jesus wears in Revelation 19 and verse 12. His crown is a diadem, which refers to a king's crown. The elders here are pictured wearing the Stephanos crown, which is the victor's crown. It was given to them who had earned it on the field of battle or in athletic games. It was presented for a job well done. Now, there are at least five crowns named in the New Testament that believers can win. The point here is that these elders have already been before the judgment seat of Christ and have been judged and have received their reward. There's coming a day when your service for Jesus Christ will be recognized and rewarded. Your rewarding day is not here on this earth, so stop seeking it. Your reward will never come and should never come on this earth. Your reward will come when you meet your king. You may not receive the accolades down here, but you can rest assured that he sees everything you have ever done for him, and he will give you a crown over there. Now, therefore, carry on. Carry on. Carry on for the glory of God, knowing that one day your Savior, your King, your Redeemer will say, well done. In verse 5, you can see the saints. John speaks of lightnings and thunderings. These point to the judgment which is about to be poured out upon the world. Heaven is not just a place of glory. It is a place where the power of God and his judgment on sin will be displayed in full as well. Verse 5, you can also see the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has indwelt us, who has taught us, who has led us, will be there in heaven for us to see and to glorify. It's going to be an exciting time to be in the physical presence of the one who's meant so much to us on this journey. Verse 6, you can see the sea. 
John says that there's a sea of brass before the throne. And this sea refers to an article in the tabernacle in the temple known as the laver. The laver was a bronze container that was placed outside the entrance to the tabernacle and the temple. And before the priest could enter, they were required to stop at the laver and wash themselves. Exodus chapter 30 in verses 18 through 21. The laver was a place that reminded the priest that he was a sinner and he had to cleanse himself before he could come into the presence of the Lord. One might ask, well, today do we have a laver? Yes, we do. It's called 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wash there several times daily. I recommend you do so as well. In fact, we cannot enter into the presence of the Lord to worship or pray until we stop by the labor to wash up. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But in heaven, the sea has been turned to crystal. And this signifies two important truths. Number one, for the sinner, the time for repentance has passed. Judgment is set, and the time for execution of God's sentence is at hand. Secondly, for the saint, the time of sinning has passed. In heaven, we will have repented for the last time, and we will be capable of sinning no longer. The time for repentance is now. Secondly, I would notice in verses 6 through 8, we can enjoy the sounds of heaven. John describes four beasts who were engaged in the ministry of praising the Lord. Now, the four beasts are some type of angelic creatures. And many people tried to figure out what they represent. Some say they represent the four Gospels. The lion represents the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of the King. The calf represents the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of the Servant. The man represents the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of the Son of Man. The eagle represents the Gospel of John or the Gospel of the Son of God. Others say the beast represent Jesus the lion shows him to be king. The calf shows him to be a servant. The man shows him to be, uh, shows his humanity. The eagle reminds us of his heavenly origin. And I might as well tell you what I believe about these beasts as well. I believe they represent the totality of creation. The lion represents wildlife. The calf represents domesticated animals. The man represents intelligent life. The eagle represents bird life. And this is just creation doing what it was designed to do, to bring glory to God. These beasts, whoever or whatever they are, are in the business of praising the Lord. In verse 8, they lift up their voices, they praise God for his holiness and for his immutability. That is the fact that God never changes. They declare him to be righteous. They declare him to be the one who is self-existent. And they glorify him as the I am. 
And on that basis alone, he is worthy of all the praise of every bit of creation. In verse 8, we see the span of the praise. They rest not day and night. Their anthem of praise will continue unabated throughout all eternity. Heaven will be a place filled with the praises of the angelic host. Imagine the praise from countless voices as these beings who were created for the sole purpose of glorifying God, and now they are exalting him without end. It has been said that this world is the quietest place which you will ever live. If you die without the Lord and go to hell, you will hear the screams, the curses, the cries of the damned throughout eternity. What an awful thought. If you're saved and you go to heaven, you're going to hear the sound of the angelic praise and you're going to hear the redeemed as they shout and sing the praises of and to their Redeemer. Verses 9 through 11, I would also show you you can exalt the sovereign of heaven. Exalt the sovereign of heaven. Remember the 24 elders? Well, they're a picture for us. Here's what we're going to be doing in heaven. We will be worshiping, and there's a few things we need to learn about this heavenly worship in this passage. Your worship, according to verses 9 and 10, will be visible. When the beast praise the Lord, the saints will rise from their throne. They will bow before him. They will cast their crowns at his feet, and they will shout praises to the Lord. By the way, every time you see these guys in Revelation, this is what they're doing. Revelation 4 and verse 10, Revelation 5 and verse 8, Revelation 5 and verse 14, Revelation 7 and verse 11, Revelation 11 and verse 16, and Revelation 19 and verse 4. That's pretty obvious. That's pretty visible praise. In fact, it seems perfectly in order. The Lord doesn't rebuke them for their praise. By the way, this is the kind of thing we're to be involved in while we are here. Too many want to try and worship God in their hearts. How does he receive glory from that? Praise is something that glorifies God, and that points out his worth to others. Verse 10, your worship will be valuable. They take the golden crowns from their heads and they cast them down at his feet. Why? Because the only reason that they have them is because he loved them, he extended grace to save them, and he kept them, he gifted them to serve, he equipped them for victory, he did it all. He deserves all the praise, he deserves all the glory. Down here, we try to keep some for ourselves. Over there, every selfish motive will have vanished forever, and all that will matter is praising the one who made salvation salvation who made service and heaven possible. And while we travel this world, there's absolutely nothing more valuable than what we can give to the Lord 
of ourselves. In fact, that's exactly what he wants. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And as we yield ourselves to him in service, he will use us for his glory, and then in heaven he will reward us for what he has equipped us to do. Then we can take the rewards he gives us and we can offer them back to him so that he can be glorified in everything that he's done for us. Therefore, live your life in such a fashion that you earn many crowns to cast at your Savior's feet. Notice with me in verse 11. Your worship will be vocal. In heaven, the saints actually praise God out loud. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. You may never shout here, but when you get there, you will shout at the top of your proverbial lungs. You'll join your voice with all the redeemed, and you will praise the Lord who sought you, who bought you, who kept you, delivered you home from gl to glory. Now notice what they praise him for. They praise him for his worth. He is worthy of our praise simply because of who he is. They praise him for his work. He is worthy of praise for all that he has done down through the ages from creation to redemption, even for his judgment. He is worthy of praise for his works. Think of how he's worked in your own life. He's worthy of praise, thirdly, for his will. The elders recognize that which we will understand someday as well, namely that everything that has happened is happening and will happen is part of God's perfect plan. He does it all for what? His pleasure. When we get there, we'll see it as it should be, and we'll praise him for it. Would to God we'd get a grasp on that now and praise him while we're still here in these bodies. Listen, there's nothing wrong with getting in on a little bit of vocal praise if that's what you're used to and the Lord's done something for you and made you and just blessed your heart and you want to shout whatever. If that's what you feel like, go ahead and do it. But he's just as worthy today as he ever will be. Therefore, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us render to him the sacrifices of praise and the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13 verse 15. We might as well go ahead and get in practice now because when we get to heaven, we're going to worship like we've never seen before. Sounds to me like heaven is the kind of place anyone would want to be. Sounds like it's better than the best service you'll have ever attended here on this earth. And thank God I know I'm headed there and I know when I get there some of the things I'll be doing. And I like the sound of all of them, don't you? Are you going... Are you going to glory? You can. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why don't you come on now? Get on the bus. Accept Christ as your Savior and look forward to going to glory. You can accept him right now come to Christ. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. 
Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.